It's like I open mini Kinder eggs a day. I bet you do. It's like all my kids, like they either have a Kinder egg or they have like those little sticks of like what I can only describe as like the hardest bread with the cheese things and you go like <laughs> <laughs> Like like they tasted so good when you were like that age, but when you grew up you're just like why did why I did eat, I eat these? <laughs> it tastes like cardboard <clears throat> and cheese. Back in the day you were like, Man, my cheese snack handy snacks. Handy snacks. Handy snacks. Not with a little red stick. So, uh, what's up? Uh, <laughs> partially. Yeah, it's oh like, God. it's like, we're starting to get lighter in the evening now. It is. Yeah. So we have uh, Trey Wilson with us tonight, who listens to the show and also does lots of research for us, which is very nice. Very nice. Yep. And uh, Ty's taking a break from this episode, so... We were like, it'd be perfect to have Trey come on. And so here he is, and here we are, and yeah. And we were going to talk about something completely different than what we're actually going to talk about until last night. Literally last, last night. Last night. Yeah. I got a message this morning when I was out like in the middle like in the middle of class. I look up down at my phone. It's like, hey, we're changing topic. <laughs> and so like, as, as I'm walking to work, because... I attend a work-study college, which is a local college called Alice Lloyd. They make you work. I'm walking halfway down. I'm like, it's like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> so I get four things ready real fast. That's good. He's like typing on his phone while he's walking <clears throat> and taking care of kids in work-study. Well, just... I mean, like, it was just kind of random. Yeah. And, he, and he's joined the life cycle fishery told by idiots. Like, we'll be just totally on topic and then something just sways, you know, turns to something else. It's a story of our lives. <laughs> You're not wrong. But, well, okay, so what happened is we originally were going to do something else, which we're not going to tell you about because I'm excited about it as a topic. Yep. And we're going to save it and maybe do it next time or the time after. I don't know. Does it involve people pulling over beside the road? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. I think I know. <laughs> I had to think for a second. I was like, yeah. It's like the only thing I've ever yes. seen that happen here. So Yeah. So, yeah, it's that. And then we got a message on our Facebook page from uh, one of my childhood friends that's a teacher now. And um, one of her class, she's a history teacher. Oh, coincidentally, I'm a, I'm a social studies education major, See, and I want to teach kids. We're bringing it full circle. We're bringing it full circle. <laughs> so, but yeah, she's a, she's a history teacher. She's fabulous. Uh, so, Miss Watkins, Sarah Watkins. And her one of her classes, they were talking about uh, the refrigerator and what people did before refrigerators were invented. So then that led into a conversation about the icebox, which led into a conversation of, where did the ice... Where the icebox come from? What are you talking about? Well, I don't. I've, I've, I've looked up ten different history mistakes. Oh, yours are mistakes. Yeah, yeah. What mine, are yours? Mine are related to things I love. Like I like. I'm a big nerd. Like <laughs> I like I like TV, and I like and I liked and the way it was evolved, entertainment evolved. Basically, Ooh. I'm the guy who suggested the animation episode, like in episode, oh, that's right. uh, episode yeah. eight, Disney yeah. and Warner Brothers. I'm talking about. A lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll just randomly throw in there. But so but, but, it got but we me. are going to answer your icebox question. We are going to answer your icebox question and just, more. Just know it did open up a huge rabbit hole. So. Yeah, so it started yeah. with that, and this this episode evolved from from there. So you want to talk? So do you want me? I'll answer the question. Um, I have a lot of stuff about it too. So you just yeah, start, and then I'll just interject myself. Face recognition. I'll interject. I know some small stuff because that's about it. So Sarah, you know, like Tessa said, reached out to us about the the whole icebox thing, and before the refrigerator was invented in the early 1900s. I tried follow, uh, followed the whole patent pattern of the refrigerator and all that stuff, but that was just way beyond me and whatnot. But uh, I did find the answer to the icebox. Um, 
before beforehand, you know, it was in regions that was was colder. So like Michigan, you know, and Wisconsin and stuff like that was very popular of doing ice cutting. And we watched a video on YouTube of a gentleman actually doing the ice cutting the way that they would have before power tools and all that stuff. And uh, it was shipped then, you know, to what was called ice houses. And I'm going to talk about those two. You're going to talk about those? Mm-hmm. So generally, I'm just giving like an overview. Of so like, the thing I know from history is that there were also ice men, and they would just show up at your house, and they'd say, they were like here's milk- your, yeah, here's like your ice men. delivery. They were like milkmen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, during World War One, women actually did it. Yep. Because there were so many men conscripted, they had to... Uh, there were ice women that just showed up at your door and said... Mm-hmm. With so, their wagons. They had wagons full of ice. Mm-hmm. But uh, historically, there is evidence of ice houses dating back all the way to 1780 B.C. Oh, oh wow. During the Mesopotamian era. Uh, but around the 1800s, ice cutting tools became more affordable. So that's when, you know, uh, the common man was able to afford it. But a man by the name of Frederick Tudor was born in 1783, died in 1864, became the wealthiest man in the ice trades, uh, shipping ice from Lake Michigan to South America, and as far as a a four-month trip to India. But like I said beforehand, the invention of the refrigerator uh, killed the ice trade completely out by the 1900s, simply because it was just easier, and the ice trade was a whole lot labor-intensive, and the Refrigerator was not, so. <laughs> Can you imagine just like your dad refuses to get a refrigerator because he ran out of his job? Yeah. It's just. Yeah. It's like, what did you do? It's like, I used to work in the ice trade. I used to work in the ice trade. It's an extinct job. Well, it's not really an extinct well, it's job. It's not really. No, because that video that we was watching on Still YouTube was, was a guy who was keeping it alive in Montana. That's what it was, Montana. Ice boxes date back to the mid nineteenth century and were popular at least until the thirties, if not beyond that. Though some folks use them far beyond that, some people use them still. They had hollow walls that were lined with um, some sort of metal, usually tin, um, and then they were packed with materials for insulation, like sawdust or cork. Um, even seaweed was used for insulation. Seaweed. Hmm. They were usually made of wood because it was easy to obtain, it insulated well, and it could be made into pretty, you know, like, aesthetically pleasing Mm, furniture. So, then this large block of ice, either cut or purchased from the ice man, uh, would be put into a tray or compartment near the top of the box. And cold air sinks, so it would circulate down, and then all around the storage compartments, keeping everything cool. But you were required to keep the icebox organized because the cool air flows down. So the things that really needed to be kept cool, like meat and dairy, were kept on the lowest shelves. This also kept everything from accidentally becoming covered in, like, raw meat juice because, ew, ew. yeah. <laughs> I can safely, That's in my notes. It says because, ew. I can safely attest even in larger freezers today that practice is still on that. Yes. That's the way that you were. Oh, God. I made that mistake before. Yeah. We ruined a carton of eggs that way. Oh. You weren't allowed. You Well, I mean, you know, there was no, like, icebox police, but they recommended (laughs) that you didn't line your shelves with anything to keep that from happening because then the air couldn't flow. So things like that were stored on the bottom shelves for more than one reason. But, you know, the meat juice is enough. Yeah. Especially if you have fish. Meat juices are, you know, kind of sketchy, but when you throw fish into the mix, it's yeah. just... Yeah. Uh, salmonella waiting to happen. Yeah, right? you're, you're, That's death. You're playing with a loaded gun, then. That's so. death. Fruits and vegetables were stored on the very top of the icebox, and then things that had already been cooked were below that. So, what did you do when the ice melted? Well, some of the expensive models had, like, little spigots for draining out melted water. Um, from like a pan or a tank that it was in, and others had a drip pan that was placed beneath the ice, and you had to empty it every day. So imagine going to your refrigerator to empty like tons of water out of oh, it every God. day. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, I know. It's like, and just because I found them super entertaining, I'm crap with uh, loading the ice tray back up. 
So I can oh, only I imagine if I have to put yeah. it. <laughs> I just wonder, did the ice man bring it in your house or did they give it like, all right, here you go. They take it to your door and they give it to you. <laughs> you take it in and put it in your freezer. <laughs> you, it, it's like bringing in with those old RC, RCA TVs. It's like, let me get me and four of my other friends to come load this yeah. Yeah. at my ice box. It's so they had those nightmare hooks, what I call them at the door. Yeah, the little pinchers. Yeah, little pincher, yeah. Like Harry, like Harry says. Pinchers. Something straight out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, this first article was published in the Galveston Daily News in Galveston, Texas on February 3rd, 1867. Because this just, this was funny to me. The Louisiana Fair Premium Zero Refrigerator with water cooler combined. Water. Yes, with water cooler combined, is warranted the best refrigerator in the market. It has many obvious improvements over any heretofore made. It is number one. It completely excludes the moisture of the ice and all atmospheric air, two leading elements of decay. Number two, the ice box is of square form. (laughs) Of square form. And will hold at least one third more ice than the old style. Hmm. Number three. The ice can be used for drinking purposes and is drawn off the silver-plated faucet so placed that there is no danger of a person's dress getting caught on it. That's not sexist at all, is it? Number no. four. This was 1867. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, granted, we just went through a civil war. Yeah, it's great. Granted, the country was rebuilt itself. <laughs> Number four. The ice box can be easily cleaned as it is nearly one foot wide at the bottom. Number five. The whole bottom of the refrigerator. And it was kind of like a hip thing at the time because it was actually called a refrigerator, not an icebox. I digress. The whole bottom of the refrigerator, where it is the coldest, can be used. These refrigerators are made in the best manner of well-seasoned pine and filled with charcoal, lined with zinc, and have good locks with assorted keys. White knobs, galvanized wire shelves, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. It's like, There's why, that like why do you need a lock? Because, <laughs> like, it's yeah. breaking into your refrigerator. And, and, and you, know, you know, when you research, I, I'm going to call it ancient technology, okay? <laughs> it, it's not hard to see why everybody was dying of cancer. No. It's like, I don't know why I'm dying. I'm drinking this zinc water. Yeah, I'm this drinking zinc this zinc water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I kept it away from the meat juice. I'm, yeah. still, sick. <laughs> I'm still sick as I'll get out. Uh, okay, so this one is from the Oshkosh Daily Northwestern from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Hmm. On August 16th, 1887, best icebox in the market, the Scientific American Refrigerator, is constructed on scientific principles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Secures perfect ventilation and preserves fruit, vegetables, meats, and etc. I don't really know what else you're going to preserve. Milk. Bodies. Better than any other. Price from fifteen dollars to fifty dollars, according to size. Which I would like to know how much that is now. Eighteen eighty-seven. You said fifteen to fifty. Eighteen eighty-seven. Fifteen dollars. Let's see here. Yeah. So, how did they keep the ice throughout the summer months? Because this is this is the this is this is the question. Yeah. This is the crux of this episode. How did they keep the ice throughout summer months? And honestly, I wanted to know this too, because I I didn't know. Many people had ice delivered by the ice man, like we said. But if if you kind of question that, then how does the ice man keep his ice from melting in the summer and so on and so forth? Oh boy, I got an invention for you. What? Refrigerated boxcars. Refrigerated boxcars. That was invented during the Civil War, along with, let's stop, you know, canning food. Not just giving people food out of their hands. Yeah. But some families had an ice house and were able to keep ice all through the summer and the fall and into the next winter. And it doesn't seem like that would be possible at first glance when you think about it, because, you know, heat and melting and whatnot. But it happened. And it still does. So the ice was cut. And it was taken to the ice house, which was sometimes an underground structure, but usually just like a stone or a brick top building. So I found the uh, price for the inflation rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, $15 in 1887 is, is the equivalent in purchasing power to about $401.37. Right. So Pretty expensive. 
And so you are literally dropping like maybe four months' pay on a refrigerator. Yep. That you still have to pay. pay. Yeah, to, to get somebody to bring ice. Yeah. Uh, ice houses were usually stone or brick buildings, and it was insulated with straw and sawdust. Always it comes back to sawdust on this stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know why. I guess it's just good for It's like overabundance of it. Yeah. It was also elevated, so as, like, the thing that the ice was actually stored in was elevated, so it would drain properly. And so you would take the ice and pack it in really, really tight together, and then you would take sawdust and coat the entire outside of the ice with the sawdust. And then you would kind of squeeze it into the ice house and then place another layer of sawdust on top of that. And sometimes they would actually, like, take wooden structures and box it up around the ice. And then when they would come in to take a piece of it out, they would remove the piece, pack down the sawdust that was already there, and then put more on top of it. Hmm. And I guess that it was it was good enough to where it just would last all summer long. Wow. Th- that answered my question, though, because on that video that we watched that I keep referring to, when the guy was dragging his ice block in, it was covered in sawdust. Uh-huh. Huh. So, ice houses were used until modern refrigerators became popular and affordable, and then they sort of just faded out of use. Some ice merchants then branched out and started selling groceries and stuff out of their ice houses, because they were, you know, no longer in use. And that's how 7-Eleven got started. Whoa. Which I didn't know. Oh my god, they used all that leftover ice to make like their slushies or whatever. <laughs> there you go. My equals blown. <laughs> it was once a chain of ice houses operated out of the Southland Ice Manufacturing Company in Dallas and San Antonio in the 30s. And after they stopped selling ice, then that's how they got their slurpy so. ideas. Oh, yeah. I've never been or seen a 7-Eleven. It's very like it's very rare that I've ever seen one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen one. I've never seen. I've seen on movies, TV shows. I've yeah, never seen yeah. one in person. It's like, but apparently, like they're everywhere if you yeah. go anywhere else. We we got that local Kentucky brand. Double, double quick, quick, quick guys. Get it on Not the double at double quick. <laughs> <laughs> Not sponsored, but maybe one day. Yeah. Not, sponsored, Not sponsored, but maybe but one day. But so then, like. When I was doing more research, I found this, and this, like, kind of surprised me and also fascinates me in a way. So, the Swift Ice House was one of the, I think it was, the largest running distributor of ice. Uh Uh, In 1890, Swift and Company, this is, I'm just reading this directly from this article, which I'll link and all that good stuff. Um, 1890, Swift and Company purchased 145 acres of land northwest of Ashland, an area northwest of Oxbow Living Center. A 20-room ice house was built with elevating ice runs and ice elevators into the lake. A railroad spur ran into the area from the nearby Burlington Railroad tracks. The lake was man-made and filled by pumping water from Wahoo Creek. Later, more land was purchased totaling 264.14 acres, of which 141 acres were covered with water. They cut and scored ice for use in chilling meat at the Swift and Company plant in South Omaha. In 1913, the Swift Ice House was the largest in the country, holding 100,000 tons of ice. Oh, wow. Wow. In comparison, the Armour Ice House at Memphis held 70,000 tons of ice. During the ice harvest, as many as 400 men were employed, most from the Ashland area, with others brought in from Omaha. There was danger involved in the work, and the men were injured and even killed when caught in the mechanism or by falling from the third floor elevation. Uh, the ice house was damaged by a tornado in the summer of 29, and then it didn't get rebuilt. But the picture of this thing is impressive. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm going to make noise and scoot my thing around. Oh, See absolutely. the thing? Into the lake. It's so we just haul it, it up. And then there were drains underneath that when it would melt, it would just go back out into the lake. I know there were some stories of uh, during the Civil War that they would pack soldiers in ice houses when they would bring them home. 
Yeah, that, that's more of a fact because I know during the Civil War they would pack soldiers and ice houses when they'd have a long trip home mm-hmm. to be buried. Well, I don't know why my brain went this way and thought of this. I guess that I'm just morbid. Mm-hmm. But it's like the old Tommy Appalachian tradition, which I'm going to talk about at some point on another episode, of putting the body in the ice house or the spring house mm-hmm. to wait until the ground thaws yep. in the summer so you can bury it. Yeah, yeah otherwise known as <laughs> we could not dig. <laughs> we could not dig. It's like, but literally, that's all we do. The ground is hard. <laughs> so, could you imagine if it's like the mortician that I said, yeah, we can have a funeral. We're going to have to wait six months. We're going to have to wait six months till the thaw. Till yeah. April. We went to go, we went and hiked up in the Smokies not terribly long ago and found uh, this little old cabin from the 1800s. And they had a spring house where the spring was just coming right off the mountain and mm-hmm. it literally flowed like through it. And it was the water's so cold there that it makes that spring house <clears throat> cold year yeah. round. So I thought that was cool. Do we have pictures of it somewhere? I don't know if we saw pictures somewhere. Yeah, I do. somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, the that was the ice houses. I hope that answered some of your questions. I hope that answered your question. Well, <laughs> well it's it, it answered some of mine. It's just like that an American history professor who has two doctorates didn't, so. Well, okay, there we go. What? It's like, all she said was like, this is what ice looked like, and then she went on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm not kidding. It was just a big, like, rectangle of ice that was being hauled off by a man, just yep. like this. Yep. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so, the transition into the rabbit hole, as I referred to it. <laughs> yeah, because it's not, I mean, because it. It's strange, the way that this occurred. Because yeah. it's not like a refrigerator is a dumb invention or a useless invention. No. It's a very it's a very good invention. It, and it, and it got, got me leading into other mistakes. Let's talk about some not-so-good inventions. Yeah. Uh, invention one. Uh, what's that? The shake weight. The shake weight. <laughs> the shake weight. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nine inventions here that was a uh, mistake. In history, but has, they have changed the world. Tessa, you have you know some of them while you was doing your research. I was doing mine, but I'm gonna mix them up see if you see if we can guess what they are. See, see if you can guess what they are. Okay. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> all right. She doesn't know them all. She just heard like one or two of them, so don't think she's got a one up on you. Okay. Okay. So you should uh, have just not said anything and then just pretended like I was a genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he knew something would have been up if you'd yeah. be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. alright I'm going to start off with a really one I thought was interesting and uh, it was invented by a man named Wilson Wilson uh, Greatbot and the dude was trying to record the human heart Uh, he was trying to record the human heart but instead he fouled up when he was trying to make the device and put in different types of electronic components and the device recreated the heartbeat. Instead of recording the heartbeat, it recreated the heartbeat, hmm. successfully creating this object. I know what it is. That has saved millions of lives since 1960. Pacemaker? Yeah. A pacemaker. A pacemaker. Yep. yep. Accidental. Yeah, the reason, only reason I recognize that is my, my grandpa was going to pacemaker. Yep. In the early part of the 1900s, this gentleman by the name of Wilhelm... Wil, Wilhelm Ranching, and again, we're not. Dumb. We're not history told by scholars. You are not history told by scholars. We are no. history told by <laughs> and they're complicated names. Uh, 1895. Sorry, was the was the date? He laid his hand under something called a beam tube. Okay, when he removed his hand from the beam tube, he noticed that he could see his hand all the way through on the photo image. X-ray. successfully creating the x-ray funny reason why i actually know that one (laughs) i was observing a middle school class friday for my observations they were doing like a practice for like the state tests and i'm not kidding you the article was about mistake inventions oh my gosh he's gonna know the answer to all of (laughs) so well no it was just like there was one it was about that and there was one about post-it notes that well (laughs) 
I will not read, I will not read number no, nine no. on my list. Read number nine on your list regardless, because it's cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Spencer Silver, uh, working uh, for the three, working as a scientist back at the 3M company in 1968, he was trying to create a super, super strong adhesive, uh, but instead he discovered a very low-grade adhesive that when it stuck to the back of the paper, that you could use it multiple times instead of it just being stuck and then when you pull it off, then that was the last part, the last time you could use it. So he, he realized that, the, that this adhesive, you could stick stuff on multiple surfaces and it wasn't until 1974 that his friend needed something to mark his choir book with. Mm-hmm. And that is how post-it notes come to be. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> By accidental uh, trying to find a super strong adhesive. Uh, one that I didn't know that I found very interesting was that in the early 1800s, a man by the name of John Walker used small wooden sticks to start his chemicals with. One time, he pulled the stick up and realized that there was some of the residue still on it. When he went to go wipe it off... He flicked a match. It flicked. When he went to go wipe it off, it caught fire. And that was how matches was invented. But can you imagine just being like, okay. <laughs> but, uh... In 1957, what happened with, like, they thought they had a cure for tuberculosis, but instead they found this. Mm. To take it a little further. Okay. When the patients would take this medicine, it would lighten their mood quite considerably. Antidepressants. Antidepressants. Oh. In 1957. So they still died from tuberculosis, but they were a little bit happy about the impending doom. Uh, it's like it's like when they go to the park like the ghost tours or whatever it's just like it's like if if anybody's here with us would you please speak right now they're just so happy to be there the last one that I got that I found it's really probably one of the most interesting ones but one of the funniest ones is by a man named Percy Spencer he was an American inventor back during World War II. He 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 was using sonar technology and was a part of the Naval's programs of sonar technology. One day, he was standing near a emission box, like a power box that these emissions was coming from, and he had a chocolate bar in his pocket. And every time that that emission box would ping, he noticed that the chocolate bar was getting warmer and warmer and warmer until it had, he had a mess in his pocket. What did he effectively discover? And what did he invent from this process? Microwave? The microwave. The microwave. Because uh, sonars use microwave technology. They use microwaves, the actual waves. But he was standing next to that box and realized that his chocolate bar was warming up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have a wasted pair of pants, but you gained... You gained... Uh, you gained cancer. <laughs> <laughs> it was He invented it in 1945 after he came oh, home from the from the... War. You guys remember those bands that they sold on the? It's like it was supposed to improve your balance or whatever. They were like these little black bands. They used to sell them yes. at like stores. Yeah, that's the stupidest invention I've ever seen. So you're, so you're looking at dumb inventions. Yeah, I I went down a rabbit hole. I so didn't even mean to go another. here. Yes. I didn't even mean to come here. So a black hole went to another black bacon hole. Bacon scent, bacon flavored dental floss. Uh, oh my god! This is that's, we're back to morbid. Yeah, this is a knife holder that looks like a person, shaped like a person. Oh lord! <laughs> god, that's what you done say. <laughs> Why? So it's called the eye body. <laughs> what am I looking at? I don't know. It's great. It's the worst invention I've ever seen. The underwear built for two. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Who looked at underwear and said I could wear this with another person? I could fit a friend in these. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we went from the most useful technology ever invented that changed literally the world to the point of we're now destroying the world. Yes. Is it beer flavored PB and J? No, it's it's canned PB and J. Oh, canned peanut butter and jelly. So sandwich. Like, oh, canned barbecue chicken. Gross. Gross, gross, gross. Well, uh, the peanut butter and jelly. If, does if it have the bread and stuff included? Yeah, it's everything. Oh. Oh. Pocket sandwich. 
Mountain. With a candy surprise inside. Underpants for, for your, your hands. hands. Hand pants. Okay. Talk to us about some stuff, Trey Wilson. <laughs> okay. Let's let's move on from mm-hmm. stupid mentions. <laughs> Hold on. We have seen the pinnacle. <laughs> we have seen the pinnacle. <laughs> okay. So have you ever wanted to make your your pet a slave? <laughs> well, here's your chance. Have you ever? <laughs> wow. What are these called? I don't know. Cat duster slippers. Okay. Cat duster slippers. I've also seen these for like... I feel like your cat is, well, lying around and not doing good enough around the house. Why not strap these cat duster slippers onto its paws so that your kitty can help dust your floors as it strolls around? Obviously, you'll have to ignore the fact that they lick their butts, then lick their paws, thus spreading cat butt all over your nice new floorboards. <laughs> that reminds me of like, there's like a onesie for children that is like a mop stuff put all over it so you can just let your child crawl and mop your floor at the same time. Yep. If you want to make your kids slaves, basically. America. (laughs) Oh. Okay, so we're going to stop talking about stupid things for now. (laughs) For now. For now. And so first I'm going to talk about television. And so it was invented by a guy named, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, Philo Taylor Farnsworth, he was 14 when he thought of the idea. He he was, when he started at the age of, he wanted to be inventor since his age of six. And uh, other people had thought about the TV before him, but they wanted to do something sort of mechanical. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, when I thought mechanical, they didn't really, I'm, expl- I'm thinking like a gasoline powered TV. It's like where you'd have to go start your TV. Yeah, you would kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like a chainsaw. Yeah. And, uh, but no, he had an idea. And so in 1930, he received the patent for the first electronical, and on August 26, 1930, to be more, he received a patent for the first totally electronic television system. But he had had that idea for a decade and had requested the patent, but the patent did not go in until 30. So basically, his idea that probably could have revolutionized the entertainment industry that had sat in, like, the office. <laughs> did not take off because yeah. everybody was depressed. Yeah, <laughs> because they yeah. had no money. Yeah, yeah. Cause, I mean, just imagine. Yeah, like you said, what kind of entertainment and what kind of what if it's like a what if scenario? Yeah, if the TV had ca- if he had gotten his patent back in like a year, there could have been televisions in like the thirties. Mm-hmm. That could have swayed entire elections. That could have. Well, it's like that's like a really good what if scenario. Yeah. They would have brought war to the, you know, because, you know, Vietnam was the first war that actually brought to the television, but then you would have had these other wars and stuff leading up to it, and wow. Yeah. All the history and stuff that could have been reported. Yeah. And so, the difference between his, all the other patents and his television, the one that took off, was that there are uh, these little bulbs in a television back in the old RCA days Mm -hmm. that would shoot photons at a screen and project them in lines. And each picture had a set of colors, which was red, green, or red. I mean, red, green, or blue. And they would make any color you want, basically. But the red, green, or blue colors didn't come until later. The original were just regular bulbs, and that was why pictures were black and white. Huh. And so, and plus, well, everything was recorded in color, because obviously everything is color in real life. By the way, by the time I was from, like, one to five, I thought that everything was in black and white until about the 60s, and then color came into the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of the other way around. Yes. <laughs> and so, what happened is, is that they eventually started selling color TV sets, but that would be until like the 50s, while black and white stuff was being recorded in the 40s. And television wasn't really used for much besides news. It was like, hello, this is the news. That's about it. Yeah. And the news is always depressing and really kind of probably was even back then. Well, it probably wasn't. Like, during the, like, it took off around after the end of World War II. Everybody was happy. Well, happy. Except, like, all the oppressed groups. (laughs) Everybody except, everybody that was white and male was happy. Everybody that was white and male. (laughs) Except the truth. (laughs) Was happy. It's like until 68. And then it got slightly better. (laughs) Then it got slightly But no, 
He had his own idea for this while driving a horse-drawn harrow at his family's new farm in Idaho. As he plowed a potato field in straight parallel lines, he saw television in the furrows. He envisioned a system that would break images into horizontal lines and reassemble those lines into a picture at the other end. Only electrons could capture and transmit and reproduce clear moving figure. This eureka experience happened at the age of 14. 14. Jeez. When I was 14, I don't even know what I was doing when I was 14. I was 14. worried about whatever PlayStation was doing at that time. I thought you were going to say girls. <laughs> I was going to be like, so, wait thing a is, I like what you guys were thinking about when you were 14 is way different. <laughs> yes. It's like, because the age gap between us is about oh, 10 years. How old are you? I'm 20. Oh, God. 14 years, yeah. <laughs> and so, 12 years. Yeah, well, I'm not 30. I'm not 32 yet. So, 14 for me was six years ago. So, I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Going on that. That. All right, continue. <laughs> Sorry for making We're you feel old. old. <laughs> it's so. I was worried about my crush on a, a certain bearded gentleman. Mario? No, Mario's not bearded. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And so basically, in 1927, he watched as it made its first transmission at like a live TV show, and it was just news. <laughs> and it was just talking about, hey, everything's good, you know, we're it's fine. Don't it's be scared. Fine. Don't, Don't be scared. scared. <laughs> it's in 27, and then uh, he, and basically, he transmitted in a place in his house into another TV set, into his room. And so that's how far it could go back then. Wow. And wow. so it eventually went to being able to, like, go from there to in a certain distance. It's why there are so many local news stations now, even though we probably, nowadays we probably don't need it. It's just that people got so used to having such local news. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it was a thing staple with the radio, and so it carried over with, like, real videotaped news. So, but by the time he died, he had over, like, 300 patents. And wow. they all had to do with the television. Wow. And so, like, he had a hand in inventing those big, like, the old big screens that you and eight of your friends would have to carry inside your house. Oh, yeah. I remember those big old big no, screens. Yeah. My mom and dad had one until I was 10 years old, and they finally broke down and bought a, uh, <laughs> like, because, like, yeah. we, we really liked it. It had, it had one of those big speakers on the front yeah, of it. Yeah. And so you could hear it from everywhere you yeah. And so it was a good TV. But no, he was it was his last patent was the big TV. That's the the kind of TV that Savannah and Laura and Deanna had in their house, yeah. and I can remember being oh, young yeah. and going and sleeping over there and watching <clears throat> the original Star Wars trilogy on their VHS player on the oh, TV. That's something else I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to talk about the cassette first, which is sort of a predate of the VHS. Mm. Yeah, and mm. so. To get rid of the big recording machines, recording reels, a uh, Philips decided to come up with the compact cassette in '63, and uh, it was first used in West Germany, hmm. and uh, on radio shows, hmm. and they released it in Europe. And it was most of the attention was the highlight of the event in uh, like the technology thing, which, by the way, all those technology fairs were just to make East Germany feel bad because, yeah. yeah. Because of what was going on. Yep. The Cold War. Uh, so when initially released, it did not offer a reliable sound quality and was marketed for recording, voice, and dictations. And so it would be like, you'll see those in movies like detectives would carry them around or like police officers and they would go like, like yeah. that. Because the audio was real bad. Although eventually they got much better when... And so the license got away from Philips because Sony pressured them to make it a free license. Oh, sorry. And so Sony got involved in it. And the mass productions began in Hanover, Germany. West Germany. I'm sorry. You gotta, you gotta specify that. Yeah. And uh, they were also known as music cassettes or MCs. The U.S. affiliate of Philips, the Mercury Recording Company, introduced music cassettes in the U.S. in July of 1966. And so it's why you'll hear a lot of uh, anti-war music in Vietnam movies is because soldiers would bring their cassettes with them. And mm. they can, you could just put it in there because they had cassette players and everything. Hmm. 
So it's one of the cooler things. Although cassettes were not used in the radio until like the 70s and 80s. They you don't weren't... really remember the heyday of the cassette, do you? No. I was <laughs> I was born in 99. And so I was I was on the tail end of the VHS. Yeah. Like I caught the v- and I caught the DVD and the I caught the HD and the big thing of my time was the HD DVD and the Blu-ray wars. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz like my dad, being the man he is, bought an HD DVD player. We sold it. <laughs> and we, we don't own a Blu-ray player because we have a PS3. We have a... Everything plays Blu-ray. Yeah, everything yeah. plays Blu-ray. Everything, like... Even our games are on Blu-ray. But I remember when, yeah. it, when Blu-ray first came out and everybody was like, oh my gosh. You guys remember the next when... big thing. And Blu-rays were more expensive than DVDs, but now DVDs are like $10 and... Blu-rays are like 20 bucks now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, it just amazes me, like, in 10 years, we went from VHS tapes, which I still have the old orange Nickelodeon VHS tapes, oh, yeah. with all my things I'll never forget are the big, loud noise of, coming soon to own on DVD and VHS. <laughs> that was and the coolest thing ever. It was. My it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so you would hear that, and you know it was going down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And like, <laughs> I had such a good. I have such good memories of when Food City, where Josh works at, had the uh, rental place. Yeah, yeah. I've got all kinds of good memories. Because <laughs> that's where he worked. Did you know that? No. That's that's what he worked where he worked yeah. at was video. And so, eventually, by the eighties, though, the audio cassette just sort of plummeted because of uh, things like Walkman and DVDs. Yeah. And so the cassette just sort of took out, and like once the Walkman converted to everybody's getting their CDs in the nineties. But man, the struggle of like trying to listen to the radio and then time it absolutely perfect so you could push record on your blank cassette tape and record your favorite song. Yeah. Okay. So now we're gonna talk about the VHS, which is something. So my mom's like, we're gonna get rid of this cabinet. It was an old, like, big cabinet thing that was meant for storing RCA TVs. And in the side shelves, there was maybe about 100 VHS tapes. And, like, each of them, so, like, 200 VHS tapes. We kept, like, 40. Because they're, like, movies that we genuinely care about and watch. And so, the VHS tape, to me, carries a lot of important memories for me. Because my dad was the person that would record all the cartoons. Yeah. And just, instead of buying the Nickelodeon cartoons, mm-hmm. he would just go home, wait for Spongebob or something to come on, record, come there, stop, and pull, you know, right yeah. there. And so, what I found out through, I'm a big nerd in the animation itself, because when I was in middle school, I had a really stupid dream of being an animator. I can't, no, I can't draw, nor can I animate. So... <laughs> Both of those things are required. Your, job. Yeah, yeah. And what, so, what you're doing the history of it, though, you're doing yes. it right. You're learning. And <laughs> so, as I was going through it, I was. There are now people who call themselves lost media finders on the internet, and so some of those VHS tapes could hold lost media commercials for stuff like different cartoons having limited time runs of stuff. Oh, and it's yeah. just like, and so they're now lost media and people want to find that stuff. And so look through your V. What I'm telling you is go get your VCR and look through your old VHS tapes. I got a friend that's obsessed with VHSs that I work with. He paid like a hundred dollars for like a box of a thousand VHSs the other day. Oh, and God. like he'll go through them and label them and, and make sure that he hasn't got them. And really? If he, yeah. And if he's got duplicates of them, he'll, yeah. <laughs> and so what made videotape recorders unique were their ability to record and play black moving images and sounds so they were used in the 1970s mostly for actually making movies and like making takes and stuff and it made editing much easier because yeah. you would just put in one tape and you go action and record and you'd stop if you didn't like the take you'd just do it again and it's it made editing instead of the editing floor being like like cut and, yeah, cut and it paste. Was, it made the cut and paste process much easier. And so v- VCRs and VHSs were released by a Japanese company called JVC. You've probably mm-hmm. heard of them. Mm-hmm. The Japanese Victor Company. 
and the developed rival VCR formats in the early 1970s. And uh, it became a very popular appliance by 76. So, however, Philips had announced in 63 early video cassettes, but they didn't take off. And the only ones that was successful were JVC and uh, American competitors that would follow. I know Sony got a little bit involved in it, and then so did uh, RCA. The big one in America, though, was RCA. JVC, you found a few over here, but most of that was Japanese in the Southeast Asian market. Yeah. And so by the mid-1980s, VHS had achieved supreme dominance in the home VCR market, and uh, Philips abandoned its latest VCR model in 2000. In 1985, Sony folded to consumer demand by producing VHS and VCRs until 1988. As a result from his victory, Betamax, the video home, Betamax, who owns the VHS system, because they bought the, because it eventually became a free right after they demanded it, sort of like Sony did with Philips, the cycle repeats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they demanded it to be like a thing that we should all be able to make, to make it more competitive. And good old Ronnie Reagan being the capitalist he is said, sign me up. <laughs> and yeah. so he decided to do that. And so it eventually dominated everything from theater of video recording, video watching, and everything had a VHS tape. And so mm -hmm. you got Absolutely. weird, you got yeah, weird things at a VHS tape era. You got all those weird exercise videos. Oh yeah, my personal favorite being the Marky Mark workout. That's my favorite. Never seen the Marky Mark workout. <laughs> That's. I feel like I've not lived now. I know. It's I... it's it's very funny. And uh, if you don't know who Marky Mark is, he's Mark Wahlberg, but back when he was a rapper. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. I know when we went through all of our VHSs, we had Bass Pro Fish and v VHSs because uh, my brother. Oh, we had, I don't even know. I had like every Backstreet Boys VHS tape ever and maybe possibly kind of still do. Yeah. I still do. Yeah, you still do. <laughs> so... My personal favorite VHS that I remember from when I was a kid were, like I said, the Nickelodeon ones, the bright orange ones. Mm -hmm. Those were the best. And like I said, a lot of the stuff that might was stuff that dad made using the VCR. And, you know, by the time I was around, they had stuff that could like hold like two or three hours of like tape. And so him being the person he is, he would know like. So like, the first two seasons of SpongeBob were on VHS tape somewhere. Mm -hmm. at my house. We have them kept up. Only VHS tapes we kept were all the Star Wars ones that my dad bought and uh, some, we I think we had the first Lord of the Rings movie on VHS. Yeah. I also the have Fellowship, the first Lord of the Rings on VHS. Which is the Fellowship. And mm -hmm. then we have the first one that I know that we definitely know is it's the only one my mom ever bought herself was Titanic. I also have that. Well, it was it's, two VHS it's, two, it's so long, it, it took so two much. VHS Yeah, tape. well, Lord of the Rings was the same way. It had yeah. two. Each one had two. And so, I think that's kind of cool, but the last VHS that I remember ever having that was bought for me was one of the Nicktoons one. It was like 2004. And I don't the, remember what the last VHS that I don't know was. if I ever... Because we got because we, we got into the age that we figured out the how to hook two VCRs up, and we can go to the library and check out the new VHS, <laughs> pop it at the top, pop the blank one in the bottom, and hit the record button. <laughs> I, as a librarian, I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> she doesn't condone. So why ninety percent of my VHSs are the first pirating? <laughs> I do not condone <laughs> first attempts. At you're pirating. running the old LimeWire. <laughs> yeah. Except you're not giving a computer a disease. Yeah. So I don't remember what the last VHS that I bought was. Now there, I, I burnt the heck out of some of my VHS. Oh tapes. yeah, absolutely. My dad knows a story. He says he hates the song "Do Your Ears Hang Low." He absolutely hates it to this very day. Cause I had a Barney VHS tape when I was two or three years old. I would just play. <laughs> Do your ears hang low? Do they wobble? He says he heard that yeah. in his sleep. Yes. And yes. so he said, we, eventually the tape ran out and it's like, instead of rewinding it, he just went, <laughs> just like <laughs> threw it and just like never came back. Because they, they had a shelf life though, didn't they? They didn't technically VHS just had like a life. Yeah. Like, 
they were so like, many times that you could play them. Yeah. As in, as they got newer and newer, like this stuff got stronger, and so the newer ones could have a shelf life of like ten years because we still have like the Rugrats ones that I still have. Yeah. And yeah. so I popped one in the CFRV, and guess what? It loaded up just fine, and it's been like ten years since they were played. Yeah. And like those things work just fine. Because I know last time that I ever watched VHS was probably my Jurassic Park. And it was burnt plum up. <laughs> like, you could barely. <laughs> oh, Lord. That's when the audio sounds all wobbly. Yeah, okay. the audio's so, all wobbly. I think it's weird that now there are kids nowadays who don't have to wait for a show to come on anymore. Like I did. Like It's instant. Yeah, it's instant. Whatever you want, you can get it right now. Yeah. And so, the other two things that I really like, were, that I wanted to talk about tonight, were CDs and DVDs, which are basically the same thing. And so, seed compact discs were admitted in the 60s, so we could go to space. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made space, it made, like, storage for computers much easier. Mm-hmm. And so, eventually, we learned that we could do anything with it. We could put music on it. We could do that. And by the, by the 80s, we started putting, like, late 80s, we're putting music on them. After that, it just sort of took off and didn't stop until fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah, fairly. Like... 20, like 2015, I think. Yeah, so it's like 2010, 2015 or something like My that. car doesn't even have a CD player, and I was, like, shocked by that. Because, yeah. like, for this, I had a 2005 Mustang car, and I had, and it had a CD player in it, and I'm like, and there's no aux jack, so I'm like, I'm going to have to do this the old-fashioned way, so I brought out a laptop and just burnt CDs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so... That was cool, and then I have a cool story about DVDs, too, which are basically the same thing, but Sony said, we're going to patent it and put videos on it. Yeah. But the first DVD that Dad ever owned was uh, Gladiator. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah, such a good movie. And uh, the first DVD I ever bought myself, I think, was like a Nickelodeon. And so the DVD was around for until about... 2007, 2008, when the Blu-ray and HD DVD got rest its soul. Yeah, I never had, I never got into the HD DVD. Yeah, the HD DVD, all all of them came with like one movie. And so the one I saw a lot of in like Bargain Bin, King Kong with the 2003 Peter Jackson remake. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was apparently one of the movies that came with it. And now everything's a Blu-ray DVD player. Oh, yeah. It's like... It's like laptops, power goes out. You got a DVD player. You're fine. Yeah. Oh, oh no! I just had a revelation from my childhood. It just all just like flooded <laughs> back into my head as I said that. <laughs> it's like I was big into portable DVD players. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. The portable sure. DVD. Like I went through three of them because how much I used them. And so I had tons of portable DVD players that I would just. I loved my portable DVD player. The last time that I used it. It feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it was. It's when I went to Chicago with my friend Tia and her family, mm. and uh, that's a heck of a drive. Yeah. So we watched like the entire first season of the the show Glee. That's what we did. Oh, like I just remember I had I went through maybe like twenty V DVD players in my lifetime from like because I and after that I just bought DVD after DVD after DVD. Because I have what I'll call my wrestling phase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that every boy went through in his life. Yeah. Some girls, too, if they're into that. This one, yeah. Like, I, like, I had, like, it was, like, the best of SmackDown yeah. shows or whatever, and it was, like, a six DVD package that yeah. I paid 40 bucks for. So I still buy some DVDs, but not all. Blu-rays were, man. Like, the, the, what got me into from the DVD to Blu-ray was because, like, the way that the Blu-ray's made is, like, they've got, like, a special coating on them that you could hardly scratch one of the oh, yeah. things unless you actually try it. Unless you're, like, you're actually trying to... We have carton, like, cart. My words are not working. Cartons of DVDs in this yeah. house, like, stored, like, tubs of yeah. them. I have things that I will never, ever get rid of. Like, like, hey, Miss Watkins, uh, Lord of the Rings Extended Edition... <laughs> Yeah. All, all three that we would sit and watch in a marathon yeah. back to back to back while your little sister spoke Elvish to us. <laughs> Not that we couldn't do it ourselves, but uh, just saying. 
I said I would do no embarrassing stories. That's not embarrassing. It just proves that you're a nerd. It just yeah, it just so. proves that you are a nerd. No matter how how good to your students you think that you are. It's like no matter She's where you, no matter where you run, yeah. or where you hide. But this one I'll be on the internet. So. The nerd life will find you. Yeah. It's like that's what we used to do. We would sit out either in our pool house, not my pool house, family collectively, our pool house. We would sit out in the pool house and watch Lord of the Rings, or we would sit out in their sunroom at their house and watch it. Yeah. And that's what we did. All three extended editions back to back, which was a lot of video. But then I've got like the original Harry Potter DVDs when they first came out. Like yeah. I'll never get rid of those. Yeah. Well, like even VHS, I've got to. I wouldn't get rid of like anything I have like that either. Because I've got the VHSs of the nostalgia of Star Wars when they when they released oh, yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, four, five, and six. I've got mm-hmm. the original box set of those, and I'll never, never get rid, get rid of, of that stuff. Yeah, no, it's like you were talking about CDs and the struggle. Yeah, the CD struggle. My first car was a CD binders. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, my first car was a hot pink Chevy Cavalier, but my second car, and it was my sister's, it was a hand me down. But the second car that I ever got was a, a Volkswagen Beetle, and I uh, loved that thing oh, so much. That, that was my time. It was the best car. That was that was our dating car. That's there when we first started dating. That's what I drove. It's, I love that car. You gotta love that German engineer. Oh man, <laughs> I'd want it back. The CD, the CD thing was a six disc CD changer in the trunk. In, a, in the trunk. In oh, the yeah, trunk. Yeah. Oh my so god! You, yeah. If you wanted to change a disc, you had to park. <laughs> you had to park your car and <laughs> get out. And pop open the trunk, take the disc changer out, and remove one of your other discs and put the new one in. It's like, could you imagine, like, all right, I'm going to pull, all right, pull over the side of the road. Yeah. Like, that sounds right. Man, I, I take that car back in heart. I love that car. I wish I still had that car. You want to hear about some failed stuff real fast? Sure. Throw some failed stuff in our... Oh, sweet. I will. Failed invention. When radium was discovered, people didn't know how harmful it was, and so that they was. thought... That it was like this magical sort of substance instead of, you know, like radiation. So <laughs> they would uh, put it in like everything, mm-hmm. literally everything. You had a cold, well, take some of this cough syrup because it's got radium in it and you're going to be fine. Do you need a good face cream for your wrinkles? Well, this one has radium in it. Put it on your face. You'll be fine. <laughs> so you can so, glow in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's what they did, though. They didn't know that it was bad for you. Again, so, that's was, why the turn of the century people were killing over from... Well, there was this dude, however, that <laughs> took this radium thing to an extreme. So he was trying to become a healthier man, and I won't tell you in what regard he was trying to become a healthier man. Oh. Just use your imagination. Wink, oh. wink. Because this is going to be in a school. So <laughs> he ended up drinking like 1,400 bottles of this Thor radium powder. Oh my okay? God. His jaw literally fell off. What <laughs> did he die? The whole thing. His whole jaw just fell off. I'm assuming off of his that face. he died. I don't I don't know if he died or not. But uh-huh. he, uh-huh. he probably wanted to. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't blame him. His whole jaw. So at what fell point off. do you look at your friends and say, I need to stop this? My jaw's literally falling off. Steve, you're kinda glowing. <laughs> and, man, you're literally looking like something, yeah. Well, I guess that he was really concerned about his problem that he yeah. had going on. Oh, then it was replaced so, with cocaine. And that's <laughs> but that's legit. Okay. That's legit how they discovered that radium was oh, bad for oh, you. Oh no, like Bear job. is currently apologizing and still for like putting cocaine in their medicine. Yeah. And so like, they, they, they gave cocaine and heroin to kids for toothaches. Yeah. And they would say, here, take some of this heroin for your toothache. It's like, they called it opium though. Yeah, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, even though the British know this is entirely addictive and are giving it to us to sell. Yeah, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. Be Never mind the fact that your kid's like, you know, howling at the moon outside. And, <laughs> and it's like, eyes are bulging out, falling out, hanging out. Don't, go, don't, don't worry about it. It's fine. That toothache is gone. <laughs> they they forgot about the toothache a long time ago. <laughs> so this one is a failed invention of sorts called the Dimaxian House. Oh, Josh and I have seen this in real life. So this was this was a house developed by architect architect I can't say words Buckminster Fuller to be easily constructed and affordable. It was like 
a home of the future, except for this was in the past, so now it's a home of the future that it's was in the past. Futurism. Yeah. They were fact- factory manufactured in kits, and they were super easy to ship. Everything would roll up and just go in like a round tube, and it only took one shipment to move it. Mm-hmm. So it was super easy to ship this thing, and the entire house could be constructed in two days. The whole thing. So it was this very futuristic looking round thing, kind of like a giant UFO. And it had a, they broke down what dimaxian meant. It was like dynamic maximum maximum tension. uh, Tension, yeah. It's because it was on a ten, like a tension system. It was like he was, was putting up a huge tent. It was like he yeah. was putting up a huge metal tent. So there was like a vertical strut in in the middle of the house on a single foundation, and then it was like bicycle spokes that came down, and that's what it was like a tension system. That's what held the whole thing up. But it was really really strong, like could withstand major storms strong. Whoa. And then there were like these wedge shaped pieces of aluminum that formed the roof and the walls and the floor. So it was designed to withstand stormy weather and exist in all climates. Also, it was designed to be economically friendly. So it sounds great to this point. Here's where things get weird with this house. Um, you couldn't build onto it because it was just like metal. Metal. Mm-hmm. Um, metal so you had together. you Pretty had much. two bedrooms, two bathrooms, mm-hmm. tiny two bedroom, two bathroom house. Uh, and if you can try to imagine getting round. A round house, okay, getting furniture to fit that round house, that's an interesting thing, Did too. Did it come with a floor, like. or do you just have yeah, it? Yeah, everything, it was okay. there. Okay. But it came with, it was supposed to be very economically friendly. And so, it had something like, that, a, like a gray water system. It was something like they said for a World War II vets, to be able to afford and pop up instantly mm-hmm. wherever. But it had a gray water system, so all the water gets reused, you know? Like you... You shower with it, and then you use it for your toilet, sort of deal. Well, actually, you don't use it for your toilet, which I'm getting to right now. So, you had a gray water system. Um, Then, in the bathroom, you didn't have showers. You had a fogger. Okay? A fogger, which used compressed air and water degreasers. And they would, like, pelt you with it, smack you with this compressed air and water degreasers, but on like a slightly smaller scale than other things that so use a car this. wash. It was like a car wash. Yeah. It sounds like you're going through decontamination. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. Oh, okay, yeah. Except for it was like on a small scale for your comfort, but it sounds absolutely horrifying. It does. And then your toilet was a packaging commode, and it was waterless. So you would poop, and then it would fall into this stuff that would shrink wrap your business. It would shrink wrap it and then store it away to be used for composting later. So you're just going to shrink wrap your poop and use it for something else later. Well, this this was supposed to be like the house of the future, but they only ever prototyped two of them. And this one man bought both of them, from my understanding. And actually, he and his family lived in one of them for like 30, 40 years. And then the other one is now in the Henry Ford Museum, which is how we've seen it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very distinctive looking. I'll show you a picture of it. So that's the Dimaxian house. I mean, it's kind of, it had good intentions, but I don't want anybody to shrink wrap my poop. No, I mean that's what come. That's what that, that sounds like. Those to. things that they would do with like dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like where they have like the. This is another stupid invention that I know of because of an infomercial. It's like a thing you strap to your dogs, you know, behind. And it catches the poop. Yep. Yeah. And then you take it off, and you take the bag out, and you throw it. So that's too much close to a dog's butt that I want. Yeah. True <laughs> yeah. that. True that, man. True that. The last one that I actually topped out was this one. In the 1950s, there were tons of reports of UFOs, right? Yep. Tons of them. So much so that the government really wanted to have some kind of answer for all these uh these these calls that were coming in about aliens and flying saucers and stuff. So they did what any sensible government would do and they created a special camera specifically for the alien enthusiast. So the Air Force took all of their I don't know, collective resources, I suppose, and, and they camera. invented the flying saucer camera. This is a real thing. You can look it up. The flying saucer camera. 
It was a camera. And they're both looking it up. It's a camera. <laughs> oh my god. It's a camera that had two lenses. And so it would capture a regular photo. And if you saw an alien, like a UFO in it, then yeah. what it would do is it would capture a regular photo. And then one would be a photo with all the light separated into different colors. So it would separate the colors in the photo. And then supposedly that would allow for the authorities to be able to identify whether the UFO was real or fake. This was a craze when I was in late elementary school, middle school, up until seventh grade. Silly bands. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, Lord, I had like a hundred silly bands. I remember some silly bands. Like there, My morning was like, which three silly bands do I put on my arm? And like, yeah, you got to take some for trading. Yeah. yeah. I had Harry Potter silly bands. I had Batman. I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely oh. an interesting topic. And like I said, yep. black hole closed. <laughs> we have the rabbit saying, hole, man. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. Oh, yeah. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. Uh, Miss Watkins, <laughs> we hope we answered your questions. <laughs> we really do. If not, then. We're sorry. If not, then we had fun. We had okay. fun doing this. Hopefully your kids don't mistreat you after this. Yeah. Hopefully they don't just like but, uh, come into your classroom trying to speak Elvis to you. <laughs> <laughs> I could have I could have told more embarrassing things, but I, so, I I didn't. Leave it down in the comments. Like what grade what what grade does she teach? She's a high school teacher. Oh god bless her. <laughs> It's like, that gets out, she's like, unless she's openly nerdy, then it's... She's a closet nerd. So, uh... Listen, her kid's named Boone, after Daniel Boone. Boone. Daniel so... Boone. But, uh... I thought you were gonna say, like, Ann Boone, I was like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... It's hilarious. Well, thank you, Trey, no, for definitely. coming hey. and talking to us. It's been, it's been a while, we've been... We've it's been, been good. We've been telling you for a long time that we're going to get you out here. It's great. <laughs> Thank you for having me. For the first time. Yeah. I may oh, be gosh. back some other time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, you will be. You will be. So uh, you can find us on all of those social media places. Facebook, Instagram. I'm not going to say Twitter because no, no. We I don't, don't, use, I don't, we don't do the Twitter. We're like an Eastern Kentucky business right now. We have an Instagram and a Facebook. We don't go near Twitter. That's the devil's we don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the devil's playground. We don't do the Twitter. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. We're very you can find on. us everywhere at those places. Uh, we're at History by Idiots or at History Told by Idiots. Usually just at History by Idiots yeah. on Facebook and Instagram. And then... Our website for the time being is www.historybyidiots.com. We might be looking for a change with that. We don't really know just yet if we're going to try to, you know, change that up and go with a different provider or anything like that. But if we do, we'll tell you. So you can find us there, though. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and on Google Play Music and I don't even know. Uh, Lots of places. So, (laughs) yep. It's a growing list. So, but this has been fun. So, yep. uh, and with that, love history. Love your library. <laughs> and love yourself. Ha, good job. <laughs>